War has plagued humanity's narrative. People rise against people. Nation against nation. Race against race. But do not be deceived. People are not the true enemy. We know our enemy, and we will be aware of its strategy. This is war. <laughs> you ready? Oh, I am really excited about this series. But before we get started with this, uh, for those of you that are new with us, we are so grateful to share this time with you. And for those of you that we get to join you online from wherever you are, we're so grateful to be able to share this time together with you. If you're new with us, whether you're online or in the room, just a reminder that we do have a gift for you after the service. For those in the room, if you'll go back to the welcome table, we'll have a host there who would love to give you a gift for being with us today. And if you'll just think about it, that there's a connect card that's located in the seat back in the uh, the chair of the seat back in front of you, seat back of the chair in front of you. And will you fill that out and give that to them as they give you that gift today? And if you're online, we'd love to give you a gift. Uh, they're posting a connect, a connect card right now. And if you'll click that link and just let us know that you're new with us, we'd love to give you a gift uh, today. Uh, Westside, we love to do this. And, and, and it's not to put our new people on the spot, but we just want you to know how grateful we are to share this time with you. And we want to let every one of you know online how grateful we are to share this time together with you. So Westside, let's let everyone know, new with us or online, let them know that, okay? Thank you. So have you ever asked uh, questions like this? What on earth is going on in our world? I mean, after all, you read the news feeds. Bad news just kind of floods our media streams now. It just occupies all the space that the media talks about. And then, and then we, you read things and you, you read like these, these storylines and, and these, these, these stories. And you go, how can people do such horrible things to other people? How can they do this? And then you look at how people just live and they just believe everything they live. And you go, how can they believe such a false narrative? How can we, the people just do this? And, and, and then you might even think, how can we have all of these resources? Like we, the world has all of these resources and we can't find a solution to the world's biggest problems with all of these resources. Why is this? We can look outside and go, what on earth is going on? And then have you ever looked at yourself and go, what about me? Why, why, why? You look at yourself and ask, why am I so stressed? Why, why am I so under all of this pressure? Why do I feel, I mean, maybe you feel like me, like living as a Christ follower in today's world seems like a, a tug of war. It's like some days I'm winning, other days I'm losing. <laughs> some days I'm winning, other days I'm losing. Maybe you think, why can't I just kick this habit? I know it's not good for me. I know what it does to me. I know what it does to my marriage. I know what it does to my family. Why can't I just, what's going on? And then we look at just the dy dynamic of being a Christian in today's world. And we have this real feeling, I mean, at least I do, that following Jesus in today's culture feels like a war. I mean, following Jesus in a, in a worldview like today, it feels like a, it's an attack on our soul. I, I, I feel fatigued physically. And this just may be me, but sometimes I fatigue, I feel mentally tired with all the constant opposition that's coming against just what I believe as a Christ follower. We feel beat up emotionally. We feel beat up relationally because those who once we thought were our friends, just because of our belief, now have abandoned that relationship with us. We feel every day is just like its own battle. A battle just to follow Jesus. Why is this? 
Well, maybe it's because we are at war. And while there was a time in culture where the church had a favorable reputation, that era, quickly in the Midwest at least, is sunsetting. Many people do not want anything to do with the church, much less our faith. And the way of Jesus in today's culture is now being seen as the morally, the moral low ground, which is sobering. So yeah, yes, there is a war. But what if I told you that your enemy is not who you think your enemy is? Your enemy is not the person who's in opposition to you. It's not your boss. It's not the colleague at work. It's not your ex or your um, ex's spouse. It's not your neighbor who is affiliated with that other political party. It's not your, your mother-in-law. Thank you for those who, of you who laughed. <laughs> who is then? If it's not them, then who is it? Well, we can recognize there is a war, but we need to, if, if we don't really know who our enemy is, we need to identify our enemy. We need to identify the enemy. In the ancient Chinese um, uh, tactic manual on warfare by Sun Tzu that was written in 5 BC, mind you, this is what he read, wrote. It's guided the strategy of war. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory you gain, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. I mean, this was written thousands of years ago. Several, several years ago, I, I was talking to a lieutenant colonel, and uh, we were talking on post, and we were having a great conversation, and just we were getting together once in a while. Because, one, I, I, we would talk about Jesus, and I would talk, we would talk about uh, war tactics because I really am intrigued with the strategy behind war. And he said, the goal in war is not always to destroy the enemy. It's to neutralize the enemy. And I was like, wait, 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 just a second. Because my mind was blown. I said, can you repeat that? And he said, you know, the goal in the war is not always to destroy the enemy, but it's to neutralize the enemy. And I was blown away because that is exactly what I feel like the enemy is trying to do to the church. He can't destroy us, but it wants to neutralize us. See, if your enemy can't destroy you, it will try to neutralize you. In C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis describes in great satire how the enemy attacks Christians. And while it can't take, destroy <laughs> the salvation of a Christian, it can neutralize the Christian by getting them to fear. And be worried. Getting the Christian to embrace the delusion that life is all about them. To get the Christian to believe that this church should cater to their personal needs. And because it's all about them. To, to get the, the Christian to make money their top concern. And to teach them to criticize others. And talk about others when they're not present. Instead of directly talking to the person of which they have the criticism. I mean, all to neutralize us. All. See, the enemy can't destroy the salvation of those who are trust in Jesus, but it can destroy the joy of our salvation, the strength that we have because of it, and it can neutralize us and make us ineffective to expand the kingdom of God. And the strategy the enemy uses 
is no new strategy. It's deception. In fact, this is what Sun Tzu wrote in The Art of War. He said, all warfare is based on deception. And in this practical and tactical manual that has been used by our army and many other armies since its writing, that, that this actually elevates a spiritual principle of what the enemy, our true enemy, uses in a war against you. It's based on deception. See, there is a war against our souls to keep you and I from knowing the truth and living out the truth. This is what the enemy wants you to to, to be distracted from. It wants to distract you from knowing the truth and living in the truth. So, in the words of Green Day, do you know your enemy? Well, if it's not my ex, Casey, then that's who I've been battling. I don't know who my enemy is. And if it's not my neighbor of, or that person on the other political line, man, that's who I've been battling with. I don't know who my enemy is. And, and if, if it's not my, my coworker because I know I've been fighting against them and they seem to be against me, and if it's not my classmate who's been posting those just, man, if you had just understood what they're posting about me on social media, you know that they're my enemy. And if it's not, then, then who is it? Well, about eight centuries ago, the Italian theologian and Christian philosopher Thomas Aquinas wrote something. And he wrote something based not on his own, but on hundreds of years of people following Jesus and knowing what the real enemy is. And he said this, he wrote this, just as man is tempted by the flesh, so too is he tempted by the world and the devil. Here, we see the three enemies that are all throughout Scripture summarized into one sentence. And while there's not necessarily one verse that explicitly lists all three of these enemies, we see them all throughout Scripture. We see these three enemies surface all throughout Scripture. An enemy to humanity, an enemy to even us, even in the church. A reading of Scripture will bring clarity to these three enemies of humanity. So do you know your enemy? And do you know its strategy, the stratagem that it deploys to deceive you, to keep you from knowing the truth and keep you from living in truth, from knowing the truth of who God is and living out the truth of who you are in Christ? Well, we will not be deceived because we know there is an enemy and we know who our enemy is. We know that Jesus says in John chapter 10, 10, that the enemy is real, that there's a thief out there to steal, kill, and destroy. And Peter, a disciple of Jesus, wrote in his letter in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, to be alert and of sober mind, to always be aware, not misled, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you need to know something. As a Christ follower... When your trust is in Jesus, when you are trusting in Jesus and you know who he is and who you are in him, Satan has no authority over you. And while he cannot destroy your soul, you know what he can do? You need to recognize something, though. He still has tactics against you and I. See, the enemy can steal the joy of our salvation and can rob us of the strength that we need every day. In his book, Live No Lies, it was a book I read earlier this year as I was preparing for this message, knowing that this was coming. I wanted to get as many books as I could. And in the book, Live No Lies, by pastor and theologian John Mark Comer, 
He captured this in the thesis of his book. And so much I wanted to put it out to you. And, and we're going to look at this every week because we are at war. And this is what, his, what he said. And, and, and he goes, we are at war with the world, our flesh, and the devil. The three enemy stratagem is this. Decept, deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. You know, when I read this book, it was like, oh, that's exactly what is happening all around us. That's exactly what's happening in me. As I listen to, to, to things not just going, I'm going through, but as I listen to what people are going through. I hear people talk, and, 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 and they come with their concerns, and, and they come with their struggles. You realize that there's something greater. As you'd watch the news and see the headlines, hear stories of, of people struggling, and you realize there's a different war. And it's not people against people. There's something in a different layer, in a different world. And that war is, is real. And I love what he says, deceitful ideas from the devil. Play to our disordered desires, our flesh, so that they become normalized in a sinful society, the world around us. See, the devil has two partners in this. And one is in me and one is in you, and it's our flesh. And the other is the pressure of the world around us. All three of these are our enemies. Scripture clearly that directs our beliefs and actions shows us that these three are our enemies. And when we talk about Satan, when we talk about the devil, we recognize that he is a real evil force with an army who is out to destroy the image of God, not just in you, but the image of God in all humanity. This is the ploy. This is, this is the, this, the, the strategy of the enemy, to destroy the image of God. And the devil's sword is the source. He is the source of all deceit, of all lies. And when we talk about the flesh, we recognize that these are our evil, selfish desires within us, that they, they are in all of us. And we need to recognize that these are our desires within us that are naturally disordered because we are born into a sinful, broken state. See, Satan lies and his lies, his deception plays to our disordered desires that we're born with. And while these desires were intended to honor God, and give us joy, they are broken desires that do not give life when they are not aligned under the authority of Christ. And when we say the world, you know, you, you can, we can have different understandings of what the world is. It's, it's not just the globe. It's the society. And we're talking about the cultural impulses or the philosophical narratives that are allowed and that are demanding. There are arguments to bend you and I toward a way of thinking and toward a, a, an accepted way of life to normalize what used to not be normal. And our, three enemy, our enemy's threefold strategy has been the same since the beginning of time to get you and I to believe lies so we gratify our broken, disordered desires so that these disordered desires become normal in a sinful world, in a sinful society. This is a war on truth. And our war is it against an enemy who wants you and I, wants all of us to live a lie, to live a false narrative that can destroy what God wants for all of us to glorify God and to reflect his image and to experience his 
life. See, this is not a new war. It is a war that goes way back farther, even way before Sun Tzu wrote his tactical manual. In Genesis 3, chapter 1, we see where the war began on humanity. Now the serpent, we read, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? I mean, really, really. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, at this moment, Satan put into question who God was and put into question God's authority. Did God really say? Because if the enemy can do anything for you, it's to question who God is. So you can question his authority and then question who are you in him. And since that time, since the beginning, we were all born into this narrative that is a war It's a war against truth, and we are at war against lies. See, Satan lies to us with fine-sounding arguments. This has been his tactic since the beginning. His strategy is to argue with you with fine, appealing arguments that play to something. They play to your desires, natural desires, but desires that that are disordered because we are born into a sinful state. And the fine-sounding arguments may go like this. Well, it's not that bad. I mean, look around you. This is normal. This is what normal people do. It's, everyone's doing this. Or, or you're not the only one who thinks this way. You're not the only one who is this way. Well, this is who you are. It's lies. See, Satan is the source of deceptive arguments to lead you and I away truth. And we need to recognize this, that his arguments play to our disordered desires. The New Testament authors call these disordered desires our flesh, and they call them our sinful desires. The apostle Peter will talk about these sinful desires. We actually read this verse last week as we finished that series. And Peter would say, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. And by the way, when, when he said that, he's talking to the church, that you need to recognize this world is not yours. Otherwise, you would not be a foreigner and an exile. Okay, so you live in a world that is is not your world. This is you're in an outside world. He goes, I want you to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your souls. See, you're not just at war with an enemy from the outside. There's a war within you. God, yes, is on a mission to save our souls because there is a war on our soul. And the attack is not just from the outside, but it also comes from the inside out, from these sinful, fleshly desires that come from within us. This is why that after you were saved, likely you had a couple days that, man, it was just great. You just remember that time. You remember that feeling of being saved and remembering what Christ had done for you and who God is and his love for you and his mercy and that your sins were all forgiven in Christ. And then... Right after that, (laughs) you felt an attack. You felt like the world came crashing down on you. You may felt like everything was supposed to be so good after you were saved, like this would be like heaven. But you realize that there was a, a stronger attack 
The real battle actually began at that moment. You didn't realize this, but after you placed your trust in Jesus, you didn't realize that all the things that you would face in the opposition, you didn't realize all the conflict and all the resistance that you would face. And some of that would come from within you. Because after you put your faith in Christ, a different battle begins. Our flesh rises up. And desires that we used to not be in conflict with, desires that we, we lived with every day that were disordered, now we're under the authority of Christ because he's Lord. And these desires now are in conflict with who we are in Christ. And they raise their ugly head. And because those disordered desires, now we reckon they're raging war against our soul. And, and the, the apostle Paul called these desires our flesh. And anytime I see the word flesh, over the last couple of years, I've been using this just a personal study tactic. Uh, anytime I see the word flesh, I call it my self-fleshness. Because really my flesh is just my selfish nature. That's an enemy to God. And, and in this, anytime I see this, this is what I... I, I, I say, and so here's the reality is your sinful self-flesh desires wage war against your souls. They wage war against your souls. Your selfishness will raise its ugly head. And you know when it often does this? It always does this, actually, when you're the most vulnerable. When you're the most fatigued spiritually or emotionally. Sometimes this happens after the, one of the, your greatest spiritual victories. This is why right after you're saved, the, this, this rises up. This is why after, you know, you have a big, great moment you've been praying for, and, and, then, and then just there's a breakthrough, and then all of a sudden you go, where did that come from? Why did I say that? Why did I gravitate toward that? Why did I click on that? Why, why where did that, where, why, I have not done that in years. It's because we're vulnerable. It's a reminder that there's a war inside of us. It's a con, there's, there's a selfish nature and a fleshly nature inside of us that's waging war against what God wants to do in our life. And because our sinful selfishness is at war with who God is and who we are in Christ, we need to recognize this war. And our war is against Satan. It's also within us. And then Jesus addresses our third enemy, which is he talks about quite often. And the New Testament authors require. Jesus would say this. He goes, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? See, you can gain the whole world and everything the world wants to offer you. And you can gain it all and have nothing to show for yourself at the end of it. You can lose your very self. See, the world... Not my words, Jesus' words. The world is a threat to your soul. The world is a threat to you. You can go after what the world entices you with, what the world offers, what the world says you deserve. <laughs> Yet you can leave with nothing to show for yourself. The Apostle John would write, <laughs> because he know, knew who God was, he experienced Jesus. He looked in the eyes of God himself. And because he looked into the eyes of God himself, Jesus, he knew who he was in Christ. And he would encourage the church with some of the most powerful words. And I want you to listen to this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world 
So what is it? that world? He would identify the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Here, John identifies that we are to avoid desires of our flesh. You are to avoid your self-fleshness and the desires of the world. Why? Because they are enemies to doing God's will. See, God's enemies will be dealt with. They will be eliminated. They will pass away. They will no longer exist. The world and its desires will be destroyed. Those who know and do God's will live forever. John knew the truth. He knew who God was, and he knew who we are in Christ. And John also knew the truth of those who do the will of God. See, he knew that God is a holy force like we've been talking about. He's a holy force who gives life to all who come to him in repentance, receive Jesus Christ, and believe in him as Lord. And they, they follow God's will. See, to believe in God, Jesus, that is God's will for you. And not just to believe intellectually, to believe in a way that your life expresses this through obedience to Christ and him being Lord. That this is the will of God for you. And, 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 and those who do the will of God last, they live forever. But God is also a holy force that when people reject him, they do not receive him as Lord. They will pass away. The Apostle Paul talks about these three enemies in his writings. And in fact, in Ephesians is one of the passages where I think all of three of these are implied. They're not explicit, but they're implied, and you'll see that here in a second. But this is what he would say to the church. As for you, and he's talking to the church in Ephesus, which was spread about. There are many little congregations like ours in, in that in that church, he goes, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed, look at this, the ways of the world. Circle that, the ways of the world. Highlight that, underline that, however you want. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, underline that ruler of the kingdom of the air. And if you don't know who that is, this is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is Satan. And you need to underline that. See, here, we see two of these enemies, the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air who works in those who are disobedient and they disobey God. Now, before you and I start pointing the finger at all those people, because we know all those people in our Rolodex that, man, I can tell you this, this, this person, and this is my ex, my, my mother-in-law, uh, my neighbor. I mean, this is, this is all those people. Putin. This is the enemy. He goes, all of us. Before you start pointing the finger, you need to recognize something. All of us. See, this is not an us-them. We need to recognize we play a part of this. All of us also lived among them at one time. And how do we know that? We were gratifying the cravings of our flesh. The third enemy. Underline it. The cravings of our flesh. And following its desires and thoughts. 
The enemy plays to our disordered desires because he wants it to become a normal in the world and wants to become normal in you. Then he goes on to say, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. See, we deserve to be on the other side of God's holy force, not on the loving mercy side. We deserve to be on the side that would be eliminated. But, by the way, this is my most favorite conjunction in Scripture. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. See, Paul, he wanted to go to the truth of who God is. And he wanted to remind the reader who God is. He is a God who is love. And because of his great love, he is rich in mercy. Know the truth of who God is and know the truth about who you are. You need to know the truth about who you are without Christ, and you need to know the truth of who you are in Christ. Because when you are in Christ, in his love, and his mercy, you are made alive. You are saved by grace through faith alone. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that not any one of us can boast about it. This is who we are. This is the truth because of the truth of who God is. And we are made alive even though there is a war against us and wants to destroy us. We are not ignorant of its schemes. We will rise up and we will take our ground. We will stand and we will battle what needs to be battled. We know that our enemy is not flesh and blood and we're going to stand against the lies and the schemes and the strategy of the enemy. See, Satan wants you and I to follow the ways of the world and disobey God by gratifying our selfish desires and thoughts. In this way, the enemy will lead you astray and lead you away from truth. The enemy can keep you from experiencing the joy of your salvation and and can zap you of the strength that you need to endure and the grace you need in those moments to avoid temptation. And then you will be neutralized. And the enemy wants to neutralize you in your testimony. The enemy wants to neutralize you in your effectiveness. And keep you from advancing the image of God. And keep you from reflecting the image of God and advancing the kingdom of God. But God wants you to know him. He wants you to know who he is. So you can receive his life. So you can have his identity restored in you and have the image of God made complete again. The enemy wants you to live a lie, though, and destroy your identity and make you believe a false narrative about who you are. And also you live a lie so that you live a false narrative because you've been deceived in who God is and you've been led astray from knowing the truth about who you are in Christ. The Apostle Paul would write to the church in Colossians, the Colossian church. He would remind them about who God is, that Jesus is the full image of God. If you want to know who God is, look no further than Jesus. In fact, keep your eyes only on him. And then he would use warfare-like words to talk about the efforts to present the truth in this world. He would say this. I want you to know how hard I am contending. Chapter 2 of Colossians. I want you to know how hard I am contending. And this word contending is fighting. He goes, I want you to know how hard I'm fighting for you and for those at Laodicea and for all. So this is you. He's talking about you. He's fighting for you. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that, so that they may have the full riches of, look at this, complete understanding. 
He wants you to understand something. He wants you to know the truth and not be deceived in order that you may know the mystery of God. Paul wants you to know what has been a mystery to the world because the world has been searching to know who God is. They've been searching for this. In fact, they've gone to so many different philosophies and deceptive ideas to make people think that they even are God that you are God, that you are the owner of your own authority. You can live however you want in life. You can be your own authority. You can do whatever's right in your own lives, and you write what is morally true. You are that. Satan wants you to think you are God. He goes, no, no, the mystery of who God is. I want you to have a complete understanding in order that they know, may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, the world is looking for the source of life, the reason for being, the reason that all this exists. And Paul says, I want you to look no further than Christ, but I want you to know what has been the mystery to the world is revealed in Jesus. Who God is, is revealed in Jesus. The mystery of God, it is Jesus Christ, and to know him is to know God. To know him is to have the source of life, to Understand him is to receive the wisdom and know the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And then Paul goes on, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. See, we will not be deceived when our faith is firm in Jesus. So then, just as you receive Jesus as Lord, continue to leave, live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Don't become a prisoner of war. Don't let philosophies deceive you because they are out to destroy you, which these depend on human tradition, the world, and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, Satan, rather than on Christ. If you become captured by anything, be captivated by the truth of who Jesus is and who you are in Jesus. Let him shape your philosophy. Let him shape your ideology. Let him shape your identity. Let him shape your traditions. Why? Because Paul would say, in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ... You have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Your identity is not in your sexuality. Your identity is not in your gender, your occupation, your popularity, your money, your career, your house, your car, your accomplishments, or anything else. Your identity is in who God is and who you are in Christ. Deceptive philosophies take us captive and keep us from experiencing the fullness of our identity in Christ. But, and we recognize that. We recognize that we are at war with anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And so here's a serious big idea that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. There is a war on truth. We will not be deceived when we know who God is and who we are in Christ. There is a war, yes, and it's a war on truth, and we are not going to be aware, unaware of this enemy scheme, and the three enemy scheme is to help, is to, to play to our disordered desires through the lies, so it normalizes in a world around us, and we are not ignorant of that. 
And we will not be deceived when we know who God is and we know who we are in Christ. We are at war against lies, lies that deceive us from living in the truth, that keep us from knowing this and living a false narrative and living the full life that Christ has given us and experiencing the fullness of God. We know our enemy. We know our, its strategy. This is Let's pray. Father, we recognize there is a war on truth. Satan wants to deceive us with lies that tease our sinful, selfish desires so he can neutralize us and keep us from advancing your kingdom. From this moment on, we will not live deceived. We will stand ready. In Jesus' name, we are ready for war. Amen. Don't miss next week as we continue this series. Our prayer partners are available. They'd love to pray with any of you for any reason. God bless you, Westside.